Working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta. Today I am bringing you part two of a good long talk I had with Atlanta-based drummer Quentin Robinson. Q moved here from Miami in 2010 and has found a lot of success both in the studio and on the road, performing with Kenny Lattimore and Avery Sunshine, among many others. He is also in high demand in the world of recording, Ableton production, and stem file creation, and is currently playing for the new musical Born for This. Please visit us at workingdrummer.net where you can check out our entire archive of nearly 200 past episodes and learn more about who we are and what we're about. If you want to support what we do here, along the right side of the homepage, you'll see buttons for PayPal and Patreon, and every donation in any amount is greatly appreciated. You can follow us on social media, and we encourage you to share pics and videos of your gigs on Instagram using the hashtag WorkingDrummer to be featured. We love seeing what you all are up to out there. Finally, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, and your ratings and reviews on those platforms are very helpful. So like I said, this is part two of our talk. If you haven't checked out part one, I highly recommend you do so. And even if you have checked it out, I would recommend revisiting it because we had a little encoding issue that caused an unintended skip in our conversation. We have resolved that, so if you start part one around the 14-minute mark, you'll hear some good stuff that got skipped in the first version. So without further ado, here once again is Quentin Robinson. What have you been doing in in the world of musicals? Oh, so uh, I literally just got back from Boston uh, doing the B.B. Winans musical Born for This. Um, It started, the world premiere was here in Atlanta back in 2016. And um, since then, it has been to D.C., Los Angeles, and we just finished up Boston. Okay. Um, Looking like Broadway is next, but, you know, you never know. Yeah. Um, Um... from that, um, I booked the prom, which was here in Atlanta, and it's actually getting ready to go to Broadway. It's going to Broadway in October. Um, but some things happened. Um, long story short, Born for This went to D.C. I had did the programming. Mm-hmm. I booked the prom. They um, said, okay, yeah, we, we're not going to need you until this date. Choreographer comes back. And says, no, I need him a lot earlier than that. Yeah. But I already had committed to going to help out Born for This because they were dealing with some stuff and I needed to help them kind of get ready. And before you started doing all this, did you have experience in musicals? I used to be an actor in high school. No shit. I went to performing arts school oh, cool. as a thespian. Okay. Music theater was a background of mine. Nice. And, you know, you always think back, like, man, why did I go through that? And when I got into the musical theater world, it allowed me to understand certain things like it might not be written, but a cymbal swell or a wind chime here helps tell the story of a scene change. Yep. Mm-hmm. You get it? Or knowing, okay, it's not just piano, but what type of piano is it? Is it an under dialogue piano? Right. Or is it a, it's a scene change piano? Right. Or is it a vamp? Is it a vamp leading to something bigger or are we just... Are we just sitting there because something visual is happening on stage that I've never seen? Mm-hmm. Like, I've been doing... This is my fourth city. I've done a, over 100 shows with Born For This. Never seen the show. Hmm. 
Wow. So um, I got the question. It was like, well, what's your enjoy? I was like, you have to find your enjoyment with the musical theater thing from a different place. Yeah. Like, so, like, we were talking about the narcissistic side of ourselves being on stage. Right. You know, you grab that, you know, people see you, they can identify who you are and what you're doing, and, hey, I love what you did there. Right. With musical theater, you're in a pit or I'm in another room. Yeah. No one knows who I am. I could slap them in the face. They would not know <laughs> who I am. So my my joy... My satisfaction comes from knowing that I am doing something that helps other people create on top of what I'm giving them. Right. Much like Tracy was talking about, if I'm hitting the snare four times at the top of a number, that lets sound know what cues they need to do. That lets lighting know what they need to do. Whoever's controlling the tracks of the motorized faders on stage, mm -hmm. what they need to do. It also lets the actors know what they need to do. Yeah. So I need to be as stable as I possibly can mm -hmm. so that people can build on top of me, being that concrete foundation that we yeah. were talking about before. Yeah. You know, I interviewed uh, Jake Wood recently, mm -hmm. who's playing with Hamilton. Yes. Like the touring yes. Thing, and, and he talked about how uh, in most musicals, if not every musical, the, the musical director and the drummer and or percussionist drive that bus. Absolutely. It's like those are the two roles. Man, it was crazy. I remember we were out in L.A. last year and the musical director who just so happened to, um, uh, you know, write the scores and arrange the, the music couldn't make it because he had some family stuff going on. And we had a sub music director. How'd that go? It was fine because I was there, <laughs> right. you know, and that's not that's not being, you know, boastful or anything. No, that's because you're the drummer and you know, the show. I knew I knew the show. And yeah, it, you know, I, I, I distinctly remember going into cast rehearsal and they were like, oh, yeah, we did an eight count here and we did this. And I was like, no, we did this, that and that. And the minute I said that and they did it, it fell right into place. Right. You know, right. so. And even on the fly, like in a moment, if if something in the show goes a little bit weird, either the MD or the drummer or both can just like muscle it through. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like everybody on stage, everybody in the booth is like just they put them on their back and they're like, this is what we're and, doing. And that's a lot of times that what has that happens. Um, it's it's funny um, because typically in the music world, music wins out. Yeah, you know, it's this is the click, and this is what we're doing. Right in the music theater world, the actors went out. Yes, you yes. know, and because they're human, it might not be the same delivery every night. Right, and because of that, you have to be able to pull it. Like there are certain times in the show where I would literally have to turn off the click and let them give us the downbeat by their voice, and then come back in with it. Mm -hmm. You know, because. I'm a firm believer just because you're right doesn't mean you have to be right at the wrong time. Wait, say that again? Just because you're right doesn't yeah. mean you can be you can be wrong. You can be right at the wrong time. Right. Yeah. You yeah. get what I'm saying? Yeah. So be, what, being together is more important than being right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> just because we did it at 120 yesterday, mm -hmm. she might be feeling a different way today. Yeah. Or we never know. The quick change might have taken a step a, a split second too late. And now that person's coming in and they have a rushed energy. Yeah, yeah. You know, and if you're not careful and you're like, nope, that's not the way we did it. And you're so rigid right. in that it can screw everything up. Yep. 
So, you know, like what what's more important, you know, you know, the fact that the floor is clean or the fact that the house is standing, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, because at the end of the day, you have to be pliable in these situations, yeah. particularly in music theater. Now, I don't know everything about music theater, but what I will say from doing that show, I feel like I have a really good. I'm in a really good headspace as far as what's expected of me, mm-hmm. you know, um, because there's so much that is relied on from a rhythm standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, um, and since I've realized that the theater world is probably the next level for me, like the Broadway living, doing that, yeah, it's the next thing I've seen more shows and sat in more pits and you know, that is synonymous. It's just the music director, not diminishing what all of the other musicians are doing, Mm -hmm. but the music director and the drummer kind of being on opposite sides, tightening or loosening to taste, you know, becomes a thing. Like, I don't even know if Broadway would be a thing if it had not been for the music director from this show pulling me and saying, you can do this. Mm -hmm. Like, this is this is a thing for you, and I don't even know if you know it or not, but you should definitely look into this. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been doing, and it's exciting. Yeah, I'm literally I leave here on Friday. I'm doing a um a, um, a show with Autumn Hofbert at Fifty Four Below, which if you know anything about the Broadway community, like Fifty Four Below is the it place for Broadway. Right, and um for it's, cabaret shows. Right, it's like a cabaret mm-hmm. theater, right? Yes. Yeah. So um Autumn just spent the past year and a half out with Spoiled Rotten and Sophia. Mm-hmm. So now she's coming back into the city, so we're doing this um, this cabaret show. I did one um, back in January in San Fran's, just so happens to be Feinstein's um, other location at the Nico, and that was with um, Orfe and Andy Carl, who's, for a lack of a better phrase, Broadway's first couple. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, um, yeah. And so, like, for me, like, the next level of my career look like for me it looks like Broadway is calling and whether it be born for this or another show I'm excited to see what happens um because I, I can see myself there mm-hmm. I can I can already see it um I went and saw the Lion King and I was listening from a drummer perspective Carter McLean yeah Ugh. yeah oh my god he's nuts oh my god he is just uh I mean, talk about a machine. Yeah. Like, un- yeah. unbelievable. Just the most consistent technique, the most consistent sound. I mean, you got to be. Tommy Igo wrote the book. Yeah. You know, he wrote the, the Lion King book. Right. You know, um, which is also becoming a thing. When, when you talk about making yourself indispensable. indispensable. So um, let me back up. Prom was a new musical. And um, I, when I came in, I was working off a piano vocal. Mm-hmm. Straight up piano vocal. There were no drum parts written. So um, having to help construct the drum parts. Yeah. Even with Born For This, um, although because that music director is a percussionist, but there were just certain things that needed to be tweaked. And instead of him tweaking them, he gave me carte blanche to do it. Yeah. You know, so um, just talking to different people, maybe in about three or four years, that will be a position where you bring in a drummer mm-hmm. to write those parts. Yeah. You know, yeah, traditionally yeah. it was done by the copyist working for the music director or right. the arranger, but it's becoming more of a thing now that you let the drummer write it. You know, yeah. you get less slashes. 
<laughs> yeah, fewer like fewer slashes and and a more intuitive drum part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or how it's written. I can always tell who writes my music based on their instrument. Like if I get a lot of ties, freaking horn player. <laughs> right. Like no man, I'm talking dots. Right. You know, like, yeah. You know, but you yeah. can tell. You know, you can tell. But you have to. You have to know how to read it all, right? Mm-hmm. And um. That's funny you mentioned that because I'm thinking about like you know the different types of charts that I've read over mm-hmm. the years, and some of them are super horizontal, like you said, with all the ties and kind of this horizontal line, and some of them are super vertical. You know, yep. like composers who who are pianists mm-hmm. stack yep. the drum parts. Yep. You know, they think they got to write every instrument, every kick, and every snare yep. on top of each other. And then I think that's also I never forget the first the first set of music I got for Born For This was everything was written. By the time we got to LA, it was slashes, it was informal talk because the more the arranger or the composer trusts the drummer, it becomes a thing of, oh, Q's going to play this. Yeah. Like So it's called Saturday Night Feel. <laughs> this is one thing called the Saturday Night Feel. And where that came from... Um, my um, instructor was coming to one of the shows, and at the end of the show, we get to stretch out a little bit more in the in the curtain call or whatever. And um, it was Saturday night. He was there at the Saturday night, and I did a couple of fills that kind of like turned heads in the pit. <laughs> and um, it's like, oh yeah, we got some Saturday night fills happening tonight. <laughs> and um, so when I got the music for this last run, like a lo- a couple of places like Saturday night fill, please. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So you know, I think it's a function of if the composer knows, who, like you can, it's no different than when I produce or when I when I'm coming up with arrangements. I'm arranging with certain instrumentalists in mind. Yeah, you know. Yeah, if that's, that's fun when when that happens. I'm reminded of a, a buddy of mine in Kansas City named Clint Ashlock, mm-hmm. who's a phenomenal trumpet player, composer, arranger. Mm-hmm. And I played in his big band for a while, and I got this chart where. Um, it had like you know it had like a big two bar drum fill leading, right. leading up to the big shout session right. you know, <laughs> and instead of writing like you know drum fill or right. setup or whatever, right. Clint, Clint put hash marks and wrote bazookas and shit. <laughs> exactly, it's so great. Exactly, so, so like I'm sitting in rehearsal and I look down and I read that and I literally just circle it and screenshot and I was like, you're hilarious. Right, but it was literally at different parts of the music, but you can do that. When and, and that's a huge compliment because yeah. this guy trusts you yes. enough to know I got Zach on the gig. I, the last thing I have to worry about is drums. Right. And he, he knows what I mean. Exactly. <laughs> and for me, like, that's another thing. You talk about the working drummer. For me, what I take solace in is when someone calls me for a gig. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know what? I might have a million and one things to worry about, but... All drum related things, I don't have cues on the gig. I'm good. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. Yep. Whether it be click tracks, whether it be loops, whether it be program, whether it be drums, whether it be the hang, the hang, <laughs> all of it. Yeah. I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. You know, is if as long as he's on the gig, because I always tell like guys that call me, I was like, you got to get beyond the point that you're a position. You got to be your name. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what do you mean by that? It's a lot different. When I say, oh, we got to find a new drummer versus I got to replace Zach. Mm-hmm. 
that takes on a totally different connotation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so you talk about being a working drummer, going being more than your position, right? Or your your job title, right? Totally. You know? And it's not always about uh, what you play. Like my wife says all the time, in any interaction, nobody remembers exactly what you say. Nobody exact. Nobody remembers exactly what you play. Sure. What they remember is how you, you make, make them, them feel, feel. Mm-hmm. and that applies to music so much. It, it does. It applies to your fellow musicians. Mm-hmm. It applies to the audience that you're sure. playing for. Um, yeah, it, and and like that. That is a way to make yourself indispensable. Absolutely, you can be a presence on the bandstand, off you know, on the bus, wherever that just makes people feel kind of secure, happy, cool. Like, I th- and I think that comes from like what we were talking about earlier, like just like just treating each person as an individual yeah, instead yeah. of broad stroke. Mm-hmm. Like on on Broadway in the theater world, you have so many different culture clashes of people. Yeah, and the the worst thing you can do is come in with this closed mind. You know, it is my I feel like as as an individual on this earth. As a being on this earth, a part of my a part of my job is to I consider myself to be a gentleman. And the definition of a gentleman is allowing people to feel comfortable in your presence. Mm-hmm. You can't do that with preconceived notions and judgmental attitudes and chips on your shoulders yeah. and all of that stuff. Like, just be cool. Mm-hmm. Like, and I never understood that coming up. It's like, man, just just be cool. Yeah. Just just be cool. Right. Like, I never understood, but I full, I am fully aware of what that means now. It's like, allow people to be... And what you will find is people will hire you because they like you. Yep. Because you can find a million and one people that can play that riff. Yeah. But, you know, when people like you, mm-hmm. when people know that they can trust you in their space... And know that that space is not going to be violated, right? And you're not going to be Snapchatting every <laughs> every waking moment, and you know, you know those type of things matter, right? And that's what when when you say the difference between saying I have to find a new drummer and I have to replace Q, like that's that's all the intangible shit. When they talk about you know Q's presence on the gig, yeah, it's the playing, it's the programming, it's mm-hmm. all that, but it's the person sure. you are, absolutely. And they don't want to have to replace that. You can't, yeah. You can't yeah. because then it's the synergy thing. It's like now I got to find my new normal with this guy. Like, you know, um, even hanging out with um, like I've missed some gigs because of obligations. Like if I'm doing a tour, obviously, Anthony and Avery are not going to stop playing. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're amazing people taking my place. Like, man, how was it? He was like, man, it was great. Still wasn't you. Mm-hmm. They're not talking about the plane. Right. They're talking about the hang. Right. You know, they're talking about the inside jokes. You know, and it's just that thing. When you've been playing with some, I would hope if you've been playing with anybody for anything longer than six months, there's some level of camaraderie that is missing. Right. You know, like, oh, man, he played the gig great. Like the guy that I had subbing in, freaking amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. But it still wasn't me. And I know that spoke more to about my personality and the jokes that I crack. And right. they know that I am the habitual line stepper. If there's <laughs> something that needs to be said that's inappropriate, I'm probably going to be the one to text it. Yeah. And when that's not around, you kind of miss it. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. that guy. It's cool what you said about the, the musicals being this, this synergy of so many different disciplines. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I, I played a bunch of musicals when I was in L.A., um, and some some before that, but but that's really something I enjoy about mm. it because it takes you out of your drummer head. Yes, you know you got you got all these things to worry about on the drums, mm-hmm. but you see uh, what it's all serving sure. and why you have to worry about all those things, and and to come in contact with somebody other than musicians for Christ's sake. Yes, <laughs> yes, you know, you know. And so the, so this last one. Um, they brought me in a week early to do choreography rehearsal. Yeah. And it changed it changed everything for me because at that point I was playing what I felt and what I was reading, what I saw. Yeah. Being in choreography rehearsal, although they were in workout clothes or whatever, but being able to see the blocking and see the energy behind what they were saying, mm-hmm. it allowed me to know, okay, it's not just a symbol role. It's an angry symbol role. Yeah, yeah. You know, that was the other k- cool thing that I loved about doing musicals is like over the course of a run, you get you get more and more finite and mm-hmm. more and more customized about everything you do yes. based on what you learn about the show. Yes. Because like when you're doing your tech rehearsal and whatever, you're hanging on for dear life. Tech. Oh, my <laughs> God. Oh, my God. You're just trying to get through the show. You're trying to yeah. start together and end together. Right. But as the show lives on, like you find more and more little shit that you can add or take away yeah. from your part that, that makes it just like 0.2% cooler. Yeah. So yeah. for me, it's all the, it's, it's the emotion of the wind chimes. <laughs> it is the emotion. It is the, it is the quick change. It is the silent but airy change when you have two people talking. Right. It is the joyful gliss up yeah you know yeah. like so there the emotion that lives in the wind chime for me is always that's great man. yeah that's funny <laughs> all the different ways to play wind chime. all the different ways <laughs> to play a wind chime or even like when you're doing a ballad like um with this um with this particular musical bb wrote some really good songs some of which are you know are just recreations of albums that he's put out um and the ballads are so iconic you know playing the right type of rim shot. Mm-hmm. Like, how are we starting? Oh, he's a little sad right now. Mm-hmm. That can't be yeah. <laughs> with a bunch of reverb on it. Right. You know, it has to be the right, like, so and I've always been that guy. Like, I know a lot of drummers that are just amazing at just, like, doing whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do it. Mm-hmm. And I've always kind of been that pointed, intentional, like, Okay, I'm going to play the hi-hat, eighth notes, but the accents are going to be on the ants. Right. You know, and it's going to be that every time, the same way, at the same decibel level, every time. Right. And it's going to be slightly open. Just right. So, you know? <laughs> exactly. And what we're talking about is... is um, translating emotion yes. into drumming. Yes. Because musicals are all about emotion. Yes. It's all about about feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and that's kind of a generalization. But in, in no other arena is the the connection between emotional content and musical content more uh, more obvious yes. or more immediate. I mean, it's always present in music, and yes. in classical music and opera especially. Sure. Um, I think it's a, that's a mesh of it all. Yeah, right there. Yeah, um, I remember one particular scene at the end of this musical. Um, someone is in the hospital, and the pianist is striking one note, uh-huh. and that is the monitor. Yeah, 
That is the heart monitor. Uh So when you talk about that correlation between emotion and what's going on in musical, it's married right there. Yeah. And that bum, bum, bum. Right. But like and in that one note there's there's all the emotions associated with this person in the hospital. Yes. There's tension, there's sorrow, there's anxiety, there's yes. you know, all this shit, and he has to do it in one note. Yep. <laughs> and he's doing one of my favorite books ever written is by Kenny Warner called The Music Note. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry, Effortless Mastery. Yeah, yeah. And he talks about hitting that note. Mm-hmm. Even Bill Evans, I was reading the transcript and he was talking about you have to love the note. Yeah. You know, and sitting there and playing that one note. And that's what that's what it reminds me of. And as the note gets slower, like, so in this particular pit, I wasn't deep down in the pit, but I was deep enough, but I could see the first row. And when that part always happened, you could literally see people tearing up. Yeah. Because of the emotion and the weight that that carried. Right. And yeah. it, it translates to the drums, too. Like, what you're playing is not a sound effect. Yes, it's 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 like the it's the sonic uh, illustration of emotion of what's going. Yes, on Yes, absolutely. Yeah, oh yeah. my God, Zach, <laughs> yo, like for real, like to explain it that way that that was the perfect that was perfect because people don't people people don't understand it because they just see drums and it's like it's so much more than the woods and skins. It is the emotion behind playing. We learn all of that stuff to forget it, yeah. to to make it a part of our DNA. So when we when we open our mouths or we sit down to the instrument, it becomes a part of us. Mm-hmm. But you do all of that stuff so that your body has the tenets to be able to express itself the way you want. Like talking about effortless mastery, and also talking about Victor Wooten's book, The Music Lesson, which is another great book. You know, it talks about music being a living, breathing organism. So the technical aspect of the things that we play is only to open up those channels so that music can use us as vessels to be able to express itself the way it wants to and not be not be held back by what we can't do. Right. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's not just about what we can't do. Physically or technically, mm-hmm. it's about what we can perceive, right. what we can process, yes. what we can hear. Yes. Um, so, and this is we've talked about this before too. This is where jazz training, I think, mm-hmm. comes in and plays the biggest role in my life. Mm-hmm. Is that jazz training gave me bigger ears mm-hmm. and a bigger musical sure. brain and a, and a more uh, acute uh, musical antenna. So, let me ask you this question: Do you think um, that's why? Like you find you'd be hard pressed to find any music program that doesn't start off in jazz. Do you think college that, wise? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do Do I think that's why that is? Yeah. Probably. Okay. Yeah. And and we've you know I've I've talked on the podcast and out in public before about how I think a lot of um, some a lot of I don't know uh, college music programs are too jazz heavy. And people are graduating there without knowing how to make a backbeat feel really good. Yes. Um, but I, I think to your point, like that's um, that's why uh, so many programs are jazz heavy because it's kind of the uh, it's kind of the 
the, the key mm-hmm. um, or the, the Rosetta Stone sure. for so many other types of music. Sure. The, like the sensitivity and, and the ears and the awareness you develop in jazz translates to anything. You Absolutely. can learn the technique for sure. other shit, but that awareness yep. and, and that, uh, you know, those big ears will help in any Absolutely. Any context. Absolutely. And is uh, you know it's it's stuff you won't necessarily develop sure. playing rock music or gospel or or anything else. That's um, why I remember when we first started, I was like, "There's jazz, and then right. there's everything else." Right. Yeah. You know, um, and it's funny that because although they're so separate, they're so connected. Yeah. Like because the things that you're learning over here it's it's more like the big ears the sensitivity mm-hmm. you know you don't necessarily get sensitivity in rock music no you know you can get emotion but you can't get sensitivity right and there's a difference there's a difference <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's definitely a difference and I, th- I yeah like yeah that's why like if you're talking about your girlfriend uh, like saying she's sensitive is a good thing right saying she's emotional is that's not a good terrible. thing <laughs> Exit or, stage left, or your or your boyfriend. Good <laughs> sta- s- s- exit stage right. left. Like, gotta go. Yeah, gotta go. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, man. Um, yeah, man. I can't believe it. I I didn't know. Like like I said, it wasn't until a couple of weeks ago I didn't realize that you were a fellow Vaderite. Oh yeah, yeah. Man. yeah they've been great. They've been so great. How long have you been with them? Four years. Nice. Well, welcome to the family. Thank you. Man. I got. I'm maybe uh maybe four years. I'm like uh, six years your senior there. Right. Yeah, so. Right, right. You're Which, an old man. Chad, <laughs> Chad is amazing, though. He's great. Yeah. He's great. Well, I'm excited to, to see what happens for you in the musical world. Thank man. you. It, it seems like a, a perfect kind of uh, uh, amalgam of all the shit you're good at and all the shit you're interested in. Yeah. Um, so. It, I really didn't realize that. I didn't know I would like it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I honestly didn't know I would like it because. I was in high school and I was the lead in the play, but we were getting ready for jazz competition and I was the jazz drummer and they were having rehearsal at the same time <laughs> and I was trying to do both. I'm I'm still one of those people that would try to make everybody happy mm-hmm. and I'm 15, 16 at the time, so you know I was definitely trying to, you know, I, I want to play music, but I'm there for theater and the... The theater director and the band director cornered me off in the hallway. And it's like, you can't do both. You got to choose one. Mm-hmm. And while they were talking about jazz competition in Treasure Island, I'm thinking they're talking about life. Mm-hmm. And the weight of that decision oh, man. fell down on me so hard. Oh, wow. And I chose music. Yeah. But I never lost my love for the theater. Mm-hmm. But music just became that thing for me. Yeah. Like, you know, I never stepped back on stage as a performer, as a theater performer again. Right. You know, um, and it I guess it lied dormant for a long time. Yeah. But I would watch musicals. I would, you know, and my I have a very diverse group of friends, mm-hmm. but no one, none of them like musicals yeah you know so and i get what you're saying about like you didn't want to like it almost right it's like your cool kid brain thinks of it as like oh musicals right broadway right like oklahoma oklahoma (laughs) my favorite musical still to date is guys and dolls really guys and 
I will sit there and I will watch Guys and Dolls over and over and over again. Yeah. The songs are amazing. The score is amazing. Marlon Brando is incredible in that movie. Yeah. Frank Sinatra is incredible in that movie. Of course. It's funny you were going back to high school because I'm thinking back on my high school drumming. And, I, I, like, I was in Drumline. I was in a death metal band. Like, sure. I did that whole thing. But two of my, like, kind of fondest musical memories from high school were the two musicals that mm-hmm. I played. The first musical I ever played was A Chorus Line. Wow. Which oh, is that's a, another good one. It's a cool drum book. Ooh, yeah. It's a super cool drum book. And I'm going to do you one better now. My senior year, we did Tommy. Really? Yeah. <laughs> So, like, right out of the gate, I had these really two, these really cool two experiences yeah. in, in musicals. Now, the funny thing is, up until 2016, I had never played a musical. <laughs> I've done gospel plays, yeah, which is t- a totally different thing. Uh-huh. Like, a gospel play is basically church to a script. Okay. Like, you still have to play some of the same things and the disciplines that you have. You know, the actors are still depending on those things. But you have a lot, a little bit more leeway. Um, it's, you know, it's not uncommon for everybody to be playing by ear and not necessarily reading. Hmm. Um, because that music is more about what it feels like, mm-hmm. you know. And, and you'll know that you know this as a drummer. Um, I think one of the reasons why the Carter McLeans at Cell or myself or Vansel Cooper, who's doing the other Hamilton. You know, there are two Hamiltons touring. Yeah, um, Vansel is doing the one that came here. No, he's. I think Jake Wood is on that with him because Cooper, oh, Cooper is doing the drum. Okay, he's doing percussion. Yeah, Jake is doing electronics gotcha. and all kinds. So of right. Yeah. So um, I think when I first started l- learning to read, it would suck the soul right out of everything that I was playing because yeah. I was so hell-bent on playing and being accurate with what was on the page. Mm-hmm. As I got older, and um, I explained this to someone the other day, and he was like, that was the perfect illustration of it. It's kind of like driving a car. Like, if I'm driving a car, and I'm, you know, got one hand on the wheel, and I'm relaxed, and the other hand is on the console, and I'm driving, everything is cool. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to change that if I turn on GPS, GPS sheet music is just a way of everybody getting to the same place at the same time. Right. You know, there are specifics. I mean, I have to make this left. Yeah. I have to make this right. That's such a good analogy. You get what I'm saying? But like when I'm driving with GPS, like you you say you don't want to feel different. Right. Like you should still have your hand right. on the console. Some people go chill. 10 to 2. Right. But like when the GPS is on and you don't know where you're going, like you are engaged. Like you're sitting up in your seat. You're looking for the turn. Right. Whereas if you just know where you're going, then yeah. You're right back here. Yeah. So it's my, it is my, for me, it is my, I feel a part of what makes me great at what I'm doing now um, is because I can sit like this and still look at the GPS. Right. Um, This musical, the musical I just finished was a perfect storm Mm -hmm. simply because I grew up playing the Winans music. Yeah. You know, but it was still written, Mm -hmm. you know, and although at first it wasn't necessarily a qualification, it became... You can't do this musical without knowing how to read. Yeah. You know, because we would live, because it is a new musical, we would come in and be like, oh, yeah, bars 42 through 58 no longer exist. <laughs> right. It's yeah. a lot better than saying, hey, 
cut this half of the second verse, the bridge, half of the first. Yes. We're gonna come back in on bar three, beat number two. Yes. And at um pianissimo. Right. Right. All of that can be you get what I'm saying? This is something I've struggled with so hard because you know, like I'm I'm a classically trained musician. Sure. I went to college. I did the whole thing, right. and and I like tell me bar thirty four beat three. Right. Don't tell me like on this word in the pre-chorus, like uh-huh. you know, and I can figure it out. Right. But but um, for a, for for a long time, I that like it bugged the shit out of me. Man, I, I I will tell you this: like even I could probably play "Born for This." Without looking at a sheet of music now. Mm-hmm. Been doing it for so long. But even going into closing weekend, I will rec- I'm recording the show. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening to what the actors are saying. Like, actively listening to right. what the actors are saying. Right. Simply because of trying to pull that emotion. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, even when I'm not playing, like, the setup that I do the big ballad setup that I do or the churchy song. Like I want to live in their, their emotion because mm-hmm. it's just like watching a really good show. Like you've ever watched a television show and the acting was so good and the actor was so upset. You found yourself getting upset. Yeah. When I'm in someone's pit, I want a director to know, okay, I got an actor on drums. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? And in your case, that's literally that's true. That's literally true. But right. the rest of us can can like use that, put ourselves in the mindset. Like, my sound is a character yes. in this show. Absolutely. Yeah. And without that triangle ping or that wood block, it's not going to be what it needs to be. It's like missing a lyric. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and it's not just a sound effect. It's not just a sound it's part effect. Of the content. And I like I I guess because it's a little geeky. Yeah, you know is, that's, yeah. that's for me. That's where it is. But it also has a lot to do with spirituality and emotion and all of it. And mm-hmm. it's just all manifesting itself in the physical of me hitting these things that make sound. Right. But it's all auditory emotion. Mm-hmm. You know. So yeah. for me that. I hope that never goes away. Mm-hmm. Like, so for me, every show was new. Like, because you know what it is. You're doing an eight-week run. By show number 10, you're like, okay, what am I eating for dinner? Right. You know? <laughs> you're on autopilot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But for me, like, living in every word, like, knowing the songs. Mm-hmm. Like, I had to be careful because I listened back to one recording, and I could hear myself singing the songs. Right. You know, and these microphones are, like, super expensive and super sensitive Mm -hmm. you know i could hear myself laughing and i could hear myself grunting and you know different things trying to suppress that but it's because i got so engulfed in the story yeah and that was i i like i do the same thing playing a musical Mm -hmm. like you you kind of you buy into the story and Mm -hmm. you invest in it and you can uh kind of like put yourself in the hands of the actors Mm -hmm. like you still got to take care of your business Mm -hmm. And not and but like uh, I found a way to not go on autopilot mm-hmm. was to just like put myself in the actors' heads and really cue into them because they'll do shit a little bit differently mm-hmm. every night. One line will get a laugh the big night, or a, a big laugh one night, and not so much the yeah. next night. Yeah. So if you can kind of ride that wave and be present with the actors on stage. Yeah. And like as Peter Erskine would say, read the air yes. in the room, yes. and just kind of treat each show as its own yes. event, yes. Um, and just go on the journey of the story with the actors in the audience. 
it's cool because like in the pit you get to be like you're not on stage mm-hmm. and you're not in the audience mm-hmm. you're kind of this weird conduit this intermediary I call it I call I call it purgatory. It's like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're in between. You're, you're, you're nowhere. You're right. like, like you, you, heaven and hell, and you're like somewhere stuck in the middle. Right. But if, <laughs> if you're looking for it, you can pick up a bunch of shit on any given night, either from the audience or from the stage, mm-hmm. so that so that you know, in in the big picture, every show is exactly the same. Yeah. But if you're if you're cued into it, every show is different, and that keeps it. Man, fresh. I've seen this show. I've seen this show over a hundred times and never seen it once. Right. Right. You know. Yeah. And um, it's it's funny because typically if you're in a pit, you, you walk through a trap room and typically that's where wardrobe is. Mm-hmm. So you see the actors in transition. And I never forget when I first saw one of the characters in their costume, I was like, is this what you're wearing? And she was <laughs> like, yes. It was the Tammy Faye Baker character. And I saw Kirsten and I was like, is this what you're wearing? So in my head, it immediately it was like, oh, I know when we do this song, I know exactly what she's doing now. Right, and it's no longer like I'm I'm playing for Kristen, the actress. Right, it's, I'm playing for the this Tammy creature, yes. this costume, and yes. this hair, and all yes. that shit. So like, yes. you step up your game. Yes, you're like I'm a part of this show, man. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little geeky, it's a little spiritual, it's a little it's fun. Like and that's I, the magic of the theater, man. Yeah. Like, it sounds kind of corny, but there is something magical it about is. live theater. You know what? And I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I could put words to it the way we just did. Yeah. Before I just knew it was something. It, it's the magic, and you know, it's a mystifying thing because if you buy into it, you can totally commit into it and submerge yourself into it, like to the point where. Um, my friends and family know, like, if I'm in the midst of theater, don't call me. <laughs> if it doesn't have to do with the actors on stage or this music that I have to learn, yeah. because that's where I am. Like, especially tech. Like, tech is the devil. Oh, it's the worst. But I love it because the checks are bigger. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Oh, we got to go another two hours? Oh, oh shit. Dude, Union, what do you say? <laughs> so, there we go. <laughs> But yeah, man. So um, I'm excited. Whatever the next show is, um, I am. I am. I am waiting. Trying not to be anxious, but I am like waiting to see who wins the prize because mm-hmm. I know what happens when I get into that pit and I start focusing on that. Mm-hmm. Like it becomes everything. Mm-hmm. Like for four months, although I knew the show. When I knew I was going back, I wasn't listening to anything but that music. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't listen. I wasn't looking. If I was reading, I love reading like, like the music lesson and effortless mastery. Um, the Quincy Jones book, the um, Maurice White book, like music more inspired novels or whatever. Yeah, and all of that goes away. Like I had not heard a new song. In four months, wow. because I was honed in on. I don't want anything else. Because it, there's an adage that says, "Whatever you eat, that's what you regurgitate." Right. And yeah. I wanted everything that came out of me to be so pure to this musical mm-hmm. that the directors, the choreographers, the music director would be like, "We don't need another drummer. We need that guy." Yeah. Because it's an anomaly to travel with a drummer. Right. Right, you know, mm-hmm. it's usually you use the union musicians in house, mm-hmm. 
you know, but I've literally played every city, you know, and I think that is a function of me doing the work. Yeah. And being a cool person, like, like you said, the hang, like being around so many different types of people and allowing those people to be comfortable in their own skin and not make them feel weird because this person is short or this person's tall, this person's gay, this person's straight, this person's black, this person's white. doesn't matter. It's the theater. This person's a carpenter. This person's a dancer. It doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter. We're all people. So like, I love when I walk in the room and like, (laughs) cute. What's up, man? Right. Like that makes me feel good because that lets me know that people are comfortable. Mm -hmm. And that's not just theater. That's life. Like, I want the next time you talk to somebody that knows me, and you're like, oh, do you know Q Robinson? I want them to be like, yeah, man. I know Q. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, because immediately the pressure's released. Right. Like, and I, I think we spend so much time worrying about the onstage thing yeah. that we don't get the person right. You yeah. know? Like, I totally believe that we all have gifts. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm a spiritual guy, and I believe the Bible. And the Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. So why then is the gift not displayed as perfect when we play? It's because we spend so much time working on something that's already perfect and we don't work on the vessel. Mm. You get what I'm saying? It's like, so there's a perfect, if I had this glass of water and this, this beautiful water, clear, purified, amazing water, and I put it into a dirty, cracked water pot, it doesn't change the fact that the water was perfect. Mm-hmm. The vessel wasn't able to handle the content. Yeah. yeah so yeah. daily, I'm trying to work on the vessel. I am trying to make sure that I treat everybody with respect. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to make sure when I do show up to someone's gig, I give them this, regardless if I'm doing it for free or I'm doing it for my rate. It doesn't matter. What matters is that if that's what I'm doing, if that's what I committed to do, that is what I'm doing, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. I'm not going to show up 10 minutes late because it's not paid. Yep. You know, yep. and I'm not going to do an, an extra double stroke roll because they're paying me an extra 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. No, it's like treating every gig with respect, treating every bandmate with respect, management, whoever, whoever's right. working. And I think that's a part of being a working drummer as well, being able to know that all of it matters. It's so funny. I never forget when I first moved here, and I was seven. Obviously, I moved here, and um, we were playing at this little spot downtown. And you know, when I first moved here, um, drummers were doing just enough to get by: kick, snare, hat, maybe a crash, maybe a four tone. Mm-hmm. I'm coming in there, five piece kit, yeah. SPDS, MPC, you know, ready right. to go. And one of the keyboard players. Um, made the comment, oh, man, I feel like I'm in Phillips Arena tonight. <laughs> Everybody thought it was funny. I looked at them. I was like, see, the difference is you're playing for the gig you're on. I'm playing for the gig I want. Yeah. You yeah, get what yeah. I'm saying? Uh-huh. So for me, the me doing that was showing the universe that I was ready for something else. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? Totally. And, and operating in that, it's no, no shade, but it's no wonder why the opportunities that I've had are multiplying and becoming more abundant and being classified as a working drummer mm-hmm. versus the guy still playing at those clubs yeah. for $75 to $100 a pop. Yeah. Now, 
if that's your work and if that's your vibe, that's cool. But don't um, jeer the person that wants more so they operate more. Right. And don't don't throw shade. This is another thing we debate about in the music world, not sure. just on this podcast. But, like, how much should we be playing gigs for? Yeah. How much is too little? Like, should we ever do gigs for free? And, and th- like, there... Uh, there are definitely times when the answer is no. Yes. There are absolutely times absolutely. when every musician should say, I'm not doing it. Yes. On the other hand, every opportunity, every gig you're offered is an opportunity to show up on time, learn your shit, be cool, and kick ass. The every gig, I would have to say, the every gig and the Anthony David gig, I was, I was brought into those situations, mm-hmm. and I never did anything for free. Mm-hmm. But how I met the people yep. that put me on those gigs or introduced me to the powers that be were all from free situations. Mm-hmm. And I'm not telling anybody to go out there and whore themselves out and do all of this stuff for free. I'm not saying that at all. Yeah. But there is a level of just being cool mm-hmm. and having the platform to display what you do well. Right. You right. know, I'm not. And now, there are there are there are exceptions to that. When you have a club owner that wants to pay you $50 to play for five hours, you're supposed to say no and run out the door and never look back. Mm-hmm. Because the fact of the matter is nobody can ever pay us what we're worth. Right. But you damn sure better try. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so for me, I get that question a lot. Like, well, Q, how much would you charge for this? It's like, depending on how much I need that week. Right. You know? <laughs> it fluctuates. Now, and, and, like, what can you afford? Looking and that and for me that is a thing. I hated talking about money. I still do, mm-hmm. you know, because I kind of feel like, you know, this is the music business. Yeah, it is a business. Mm-hmm. However, I hated talking about it because at that time I could not differentiate between someone telling me they didn't want to pay me that because they didn't feel that I was worth it versus it being a bottom line. Right. Like, and you can't tell me it's not personal when I'm playing my heart out and you're telling me what I'm doing is only worth $75. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So then that's when the angst starts and that's when the haughtiness starts and then all of a sudden we're at this negative impasse. Yeah. You know, when... The and fa- then you're, you're playing angry. Or not right. at all. Right. Right. It's better to stay home. Like, if that gig is going to piss you off, if you're going to spend three hours being like, man, this is bullshit, we should be making twice this Don't time. do it. Yeah, don't do Not, it. I literally stopped playing with a few musicians in the city because they would say yes. It would be like, hey, look, the gig pays this. Mm-hmm. This is what it is. This is what it pays. You say yes to the gig. You come to the rehearsal. You do the gig. Yep. I mean, you do the rehearsal. You show up on time. And then you complain at the end of the night about the money that you agreed to. Yep. Bobby Watson, my grad school mentor, said, you are you are not too good for any gig you say yes to. That's it. If you say yes to it, show up, do your best, play the gig, shut up. Not to mention, man, this, this town, man, I have a friend who's um, Ryan Kilgore is a saxophonist. I know. I feel like I met him. You probably did. Yeah. He's... he's Everywhere, right? Uh-huh. Um, the last gig that he did, the huge gig that he did, was Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, he was working with Tyler Perry. You know how he got that gig? He was playing at a club, and Tyler Perry just so happened to be coming in there to eat dinner. Yep. And saw that 
and hired the entire band to do his tour. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that shit happens. You just and never know yep. where your next opportunity is going to come from. Yep. And we can tether that by how we approach what we have right now. Yep. Like I always say, you can't ask the universe for a mansion if you can't keep the apartment clean. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, man. Yeah, and it's the same thing. My buddy Ty, who plays keyboards with Katy Perry, got that gig. Because the keyboardist that preceded him mm-hmm. and Katie's musical director started hanging out at the club in Hollywood where Ty was playing a Monday night weekly organ trio gig. And it was a great gig. And like he he loved playing that gig. He's a badass B3 player. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't he didn't go into that gig saying, Oh, I hope Katy Perry's like manager shows up and like whatever. He took that gig because he loves playing B3, it was with his friends, it was a good little hang in Hollywood, people would come out on Monday night, that was it. That was it. You know? And man, that's what it's about. Uh, um, in Effortless Mastery, the guy that wrote the book, Kenny Warner, talks about um, a lot of times when we don't, when we get in the way, when we get in, when we get in our own way, when we talk about, he was saying that there, he was pressing he was mm-hmm. he was getting ready to play and he was pressing and instead of being the open vessel and letting the music flow through him, he thought he was gonna play some other stuff and it was the worst gig that he ever played. <laughs> you know, and I think when you come in with a preconceived notion, oh yeah, I'm gonna do this because such and such might be there and this might be my big break, as opposed to living in musical excellence. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. Showing up on time, wearing the right thing. I've never and this is across the board. This is not just gospel. This is not R&B. This is across the board. I've never in my life seen so many musicians get fired off of what they're supposed to wear. Yep. Yeah. If you worked at SunTrust, SunTrust Bank and they said, hey, listen, we need you to wear a tie. Guess what you were going to do? If you want that job, you're going to wear a tie. When you go to Chick-fil-A, guess what? Those people have on a uniform. Yeah. And I think another part of being a working drummer, all of those guys, Jake Wood, Tracy Broussard, Peter Erskine, they don't treat it like a hobby. Yeah. We are small businesses. Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is you cannot get a career salary from a hobby. If you treat it, and I'm not talking about what you're doing. I'm talking about how you go about doing it. Yeah, yeah. If you treat it like a hobby, you're going to get a hobby return. Mm -hmm. If you treat it like a business, if you treat it like a nine to five, like even right now in my current home, there's a studio downstairs where I do all my creating. You got to come over to you to check it out. Um, It's the drum museum. (laughs) Um, When I go down there, I never go down there in pajamas. Mm -hmm. I never go down there. Barefoot. Yep. When I go down there, it is to work. Mm-hmm. I am punching a clock. Yep. My wife works from home mm-hmm. most of the time these days. Mm-hmm. She's got an office upstairs. Yep. And for a little while, when she first started doing it, she was going up there in mm-hmm. her PJs. Mm-hmm. And after a few weeks, she was like, "This is I'm I'm not feeling good up here. Like mm-hmm. I have to get up, exercise, shower, get fucking dressed, get dressed, go to work. Yes, <laughs> yes, and." That's my thing. So if they say all black, I'm wearing all black. Right. If they say black and white with the black tie, I took the gig. I'm going to wear. And it's very few times in this 
industry that someone gets replaced or fired because they can't play. Yeah. Yeah. You're that's totally right. You get the gig because you you can play. Yeah. You lose, lose the gig because of everything reason. else. <laughs> the, every, everything else. Yeah. Punctuality. Yep. Professional. Not to mention these artists need, especially now, especially like Anthony David, Algebra, Avery, Kenny. These are all independent artists. Yeah. They're they're on an independent grind, and because of that. They got to know that they can trust you with their brand. Right. Like, because we move in such tight, small circles, you know, if there's an interview going on, they got to know that the drummer's not going to spaz out Yeah. in the middle of an interview. Because if that happens, guess what? Oh, you know, the because of the way we're moving, he's yeah. a great guy, but we can't use him. Yeah. Because we can't depend on him. This, this, um, there's another analogy that just leapt to mind. I listen to, uh, I listen to Dan Savage all the time. Mm-hmm. He does the Savage Love Cast. Yep. And it's like a sex and relationship advice podcast. Mm-hmm. But he talks all the time about how what people, like, people look for a bunch of different things in a partner. Sure. Right? They look for, uh, sense of humor, attractiveness, mm-hmm. uh, intellect, all this stuff. But he says the main thing that people need that they don't, really know they need mm. is they're looking for good judgment mm. mm-hmm. in a partner. Mm-hmm. If your partner is making bad decisions mm-hmm. or it has irrational behavior mm-hmm. or like that doesn't have anything to do with how smart they are, how attractive they are. It has to do with their judgment. Right. And the same is true in music. Like people, people are looking for talented people. They're looking for attractive people. They're looking for capable people, all that shit. But what they need is somebody with good judgment on and off stage. And it has to do with what you play. It has to do with how you dress. It has to do with what you say. And man, you, you mentioned the dressing thing. Like I'm, I'm big on clothes. Like yeah. I'm, I'm an Italian Leo. It's, just, <laughs> it's what I pay your attention birthday? to. August 4th. It's in like a week. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I like it, it pisses me off when I have come to a gig in a Hugo Boss suit that I bought on clearance because I'm a drummer. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, I come correct. I'm wearing dress shoes, mm-hmm. not black sneakers. Right. And, you know, and invariably, especially if it's at like a bigger band, mm-hmm. there'll be a couple of guys who like they check the boxes, like they wore a black coat. They, like you know, but, but it looks like. But it still. But looks isn't like shit. it like so? For me, it's like I think I told you. Like, I grew up in the era of not being the weakest link. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know? But so for me, it's also a basic function of not disrespecting the other guys in the band. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Like, if you have on a suit, at least, even if it's not Hugo Boss on clearance, even if it's. Out of Walmart. Right. At least have it pressed. Yeah. At least have it looking the way it's supposed to look yeah. and look presentable. Spend 40 bucks, get it tailored. Like... Something. Yeah. But I think it is disrespectful to everybody else that is following the rules. Yes. You know, and I think um, with Atlanta being a transplant city, uh, people used to get away with things in smaller cities. Mm-hmm. Like... If you come from a smaller town and you're the best person in your town, sure, you can sub out the first 15 minutes of a gig because they want you there because you're the best one. Mm-hmm. Or if you show up 15 minutes late, they'll hold the they'll hold the concert for you because you're that guy. Right. But when you come to a city where everybody's good, mm-hmm. 
you know, you can't come with that local mentality. <laughs> this is a globe. This is a global city. Yeah. And some of the other work, the international work that I've done, has been as a result of someone seeing something that I did from here. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's like you 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 dressed for the gig you want. Not the gig you got. That's it. That's it. Like, even stuff like, I remember um, Diddy for for everything that he does and doesn't do. Um, he was talking about how he prepares for money. Hmm. How he prepares. And he said, Tuesday is get money day. That's the day that he makes all his, his deposits. That's the day he goes and pays all of his bills. Mm-hmm. Puts on a black suit. And he goes to the bank and he handles his business. Yeah. You know, because what you're showing the universe is that you can you can function on that level to under to to do that. And that hit me so hard. So now that's what I do. Whether it's a 30 minute gig at the crap spot, which is this little restaurant down in Hapeville, yeah. or I'm getting ready to do freaking Hollywood Bowl right. next week. I'm gonna prepare the same way because I want the universe to understand. Oh yeah, I can do it all. Mm-hmm. So give me the bigger, give me the bigger opportunity. Right, I'm ready. I'm ready yeah. simply because I don't have to change. Yeah, I don't have to change tactics. The music may change, but how I prepare, how I get there, yep. what I wear, what I say, how I treat people. Yep, it's, it's, that's the same. You perform how you rehearse. That's it. And you can look at you can look at those low paying gigs or no paying gigs as uh, like oh fuck this I should be making more money right. I'm not going to do that gig or you can look at it as a rehearsal for the gig you it's want. opportunity yeah it's opportunity um, when we first started doing the the programming with Anthony David it was an opportunity I didn't get paid for it right yep but out of that the album came out he became popular we toured. People saw me doing it, and then all of a sudden, it's like, hey, Q, can we pay you to come over here and run our programming? Mm-hmm. Or can you consult with us so that we know how to do X, Y, and Z? Yeah. Now, what if I said, oh, man, you're not paying me for that. I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. Now, it gets to a point where you, it's taking advantage. If you see something happening, and you know that it's integral to how you move, at some point, somebody should say, hey, yeah, we're going to pay you for that. Mm-hmm. And that's what management ended up doing. Right. But if I would have took the, oh, man, y'all not paying me. Y'all not paying me enough for that. Y'all barely paying me enough to play drums. I'm yeah. not doing that. Now you've tore your ass. Yeah, yeah. And this it, this reminds me of uh, my, my writing racket. Like, I do a thing. One of my little side rackets is I write bios okay. for people. And sometimes I'll write articles or whatever else. But... Um, like five years ago, I started, the reason I'm doing this podcast is because I started writing a couple articles for Drummer's Resource. Wow. For free. Like I, I contacted Nick Ruffini and, uh, asked him if I could do like a guest blog Mm -hmm. for Drummer's Resource. Mm -hmm. And I did, and he dug it and I wrote some more articles. He didn't have the budget to pay me. Mm -hmm. It didn't take me a whole lot of time, Mm -hmm. but it was Nick who introduced me to Matt Krause, who's my partner on, Mm -hmm. on this podcast. Mm -hmm. So not only did the podcast come out of it, but... Um, after doing a couple articles, I started getting paid by some other people to write some articles. Mm-hmm. After doing that, I started thinking, well, maybe I could write some bios for people. Mm-hmm. I hit up a couple of my friends in mm-hmm. LA and was like, let me write your bio. Mm-hmm. Let me just use you as a guinea pig sure. to like work some of this out. Mm-hmm. And after I did a couple, uh, somebody would like, Hey, did you write a bio for so-and-so? And I'm like, yeah, hundred bucks. And 
I mean, it took a couple of years, you know, but if you start with a little thing that you're just willing to do, that's it. You're just willing to do a little thing. It can blossom into. Agreed. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I just think, especially in this microwave generation, I know I'm, I'm about to sound like super old, mm-hmm. but nobody wants to do the work anymore. Yeah. They just, they just want what they want. Yeah. You know, then it's like, there's beauty in the work. Yeah. And but I you think, can't understand that when you're young. I don't think that's I don't think that's unique to this young generation. No, I think I we think, were like that. I we definitely we're like that. But I think more so now because social media is out there now. Yeah. Like I didn't grow up with social media. Me neither. And, you know, How old I, are you? Huh? How old are you? Forty. Okay, so I'm thirty. I'm almost thirty-eight. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things where it's just kind of like I get it, and I I don't envy the kids because, like I said, when I did teach um um school the pressures that come with social media are so much more and I don't think us growing up we were a couple of years away from each other I don't think we were mentally equipped to deal with social media Mm -hmm. right but because of social media you're able to put out your representative or the A-roll the the A-footage you get what I'm saying (laughs) and it's like so we're looking at someone's product real best case scenario right yeah. and you know we're living without constant b-roll yeah you know and yeah. trying to get that to measure up and it never will because it's a, if every time i hear a drummer it's on a recording it better be the best part of him mm-hmm. not in the rehearsal room so i'm sitting in the rehearsal room listening to this album that just came out and i'm like man i suck yeah, I'm rehear- I'm practicing. I'm supposed to suck right now. Right. Yeah, yeah. You get what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I guess a part of that in the the, the, the social media, I just kind of see the acceleration of everything. Right. And you see only the final result. You don't see. You don't see the process. process. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. like you go from zero to 100 and you want what's at 100, not knowing that there are lessons from one through 99 that help you maintain Right. The 100. Right. It's one thing to get it. It's another thing to keep it. Mm-hmm. You know, I always tell people, uh, I always joke with the music director from the People Bryson um, camp. I was like, man, I really appreciate the callbacks. The callbacks. That's what I told him on the first gig. Um, and what do you mean? This is your first gig. I was like, everybody gets called once. I was like, but it's the callbacks that let you know that you're doing what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. It's like the zero to 99 helped me get to the 100 to get the callbacks. Mm-hmm. But if I don't know to show up on time, one, right, to have reliable transportation, two, mm-hmm. have decent gear, three, wear the right thing, four, and so on. Yeah. Once you get to 100, you'll lose it all simply because you didn't learn the lesson that you were supposed to use. Yeah, man. You get what I'm saying? Totally. And people are spending a shitload of time and money putting together really kick-ass Instagram videos, which is great, fine, but putting together kick-ass Instagram videos doesn't have anything to do with handling your day-to-day business. That's it. That's it. That's it. I mean, and get it. Like, with all the endorsements that we have, you know, you have to be present, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It's a part of it. Right. You know, uh... Uh, Martin Drummer, Drum Magazine, their relics. You know, yeah. it's like when I was growing up, like press day, like you go in, you get the magazines, and you sit there in the middle of the floor, and you just 
veg out on right. all things drums. Right. Now it's the click of a button. Yep. And because of that, if you want to be in that, you have to present yourself a certain way. Mm-hmm. However, I think that a lot of these musicians, not just drummers, use the forum the wrong way. They mm-hmm. use the media the wrong way. They're tagging these companies that they're not representing. Yeah. You know, they're doing all of these things that these reps are looking at them like, okay. You're right, yeah. All right, yeah. fine. Okay, now what? It's like digital NAM. It's like everybody, yes! everybody shows up <laughs> to Instagram being like, this is where it happens, you know? And the, <laughs> the first time I went to NAM, like I had no business being there. And it was a rude awakening because it was just, you know, it was thousands upon thousands of Sensory people. Sensory overload. And thousands <laughs> of companies. And the companies are there to sell shit to retailers. Like, yes. That's what they're there to do. They're not there to network with musicians nobody's never heard of. Right. Like me. Uh, and I think that's how Instagram is. Like, people show up and they're like, this this is where it happens. Where's Where's the booth? Where's no. the endorsements? No. Where's, you know. And it's what we were talking about. Instagram can be devoid of relationships. Sure. Um, and I interviewed Brian Stevens. Do you know mm-hmm. him? Yeah. yeah. And he talked about how... Session A. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, he subbed for me when I had to go to D.C. for the prom. Oh, nice. He subbed the rehearsals for me. God, he's such That's a how guy. we met. He's helped me out so much. Yeah, he's but a great guy. He talked about how his, his social media kind of strategy is to have fewer interactions but more meaningful interactions mm, sure. on social media. Sure. So the relationships he's creating there are actually real relationships, mm-hmm. not just like click and and forget about. You know, it. and I I've noticed that myself. Like uh, I recently, like it's a milestone for me, but I recently hit like ten thousand followers or whatever, mm-hmm. and I can definitely tell the difference between just posting something and just waiting for people to like it, versus posting something, someone say something, and then I connect with that person. Yes. And then the next thing that will happen is that they'll do a DM and ask me about a certain thing that I was doing or what I'm playing or whatever. And then that instantly became a more meaningful, like like you were just saying, a more meaningful interaction. And um, man, like you guys should do a class or a podcast just on how to do that, because I don't think the things that we're talking about, even like the Ableton thing and the programming thing, I don't think people talk about it. Mm -hmm. It's a thing that happens. Yeah. But it's being utilized incorrectly. And because it's being utilized incorrectly, it becomes abusive. Right. And then, same thing with Facebook. IG exists because Facebook became something that it wasn't supposed to be. Yeah. You know, so it starts off pure. Right. And then it gets into the wrong hands. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why, going back to our very first topic coming full circle with Jamcard, the fact that you have to be invited in, yeah, you know, kind of protects the integrity of what it was designed to be. Right. You know. Right. And I think like Facebook became, um, it became poisonous. It became mm-hmm. malevolent. Um, and I think the danger with Instagram is that it just becomes kind of meaningless. Mm-hmm. Just like just scrolling through these pictures and videos that just have no meaning, yep. or no rooting in any sort of community or yep. any sort of. You know, I, I, I kind of see that happening. Yeah, my biggest thing with posting for me, it is not a braggadocious thing. It is literally to tell people if a little left-handed kid from Miami could come in and become a working drummer mm-hmm. to some of the greatest artists that this world has ever seen, if it can happen for me, 
it can happen for anybody. Yeah. So for me, every post that I put up is to encourage someone to not give up on their dreams. Yeah. You know, to not uh, take no for an answer. Mm-hmm. Like, if they say no, that means that you can't go through the front door. Find a window. Yeah. Find a back door. Find <laughs> a basement. Yeah, yeah. You know, find a chimney. Be like Santa Claus, you know. So, because, I mean, I had one high school band director that tell me, he was like, yeah, you're not, I'm a lefty. So, he was like, yeah, you don't look like a traditional drummer. You know, nobody's going to hire that, mm-hmm. you know. You should try. You should probably think about doing something else. Because you're left-handed. Because I didn't look like the traditional, yeah. you know, and that's his stuff, right. you know. And I had to, I had to understand that, and I had to allow that to be his stuff and give it back to him at some point, mm-hmm. you know. But do you imagine telling the kid that's just trying to find his way that type of thing, mm-hmm. you know? It's just kind of like, okay, well, I don't know if I want to do this now. Yeah, yeah, but I think your your Instagram is kind of a real look. Like you don't you don't just post the highlight reel, right? Like, and it's not all music, right? I and I, I take the same approach with with mine. It's like uh, it's it's about my life. Mm-hmm. It's not just about drums. Mm-hmm. And um, I like that. You know, I've I've seen you post stuff from the musical. I've seen you post stuff from tour. Yeah. I've seen you post stuff from wedding gigs. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's like all of the above. And I think it, it takes an all-of-the-above mentality to be a working musician. For sure. Like, if you have a preconceived notion of what you're going to do yeah. and how you're going to do it and how much you're going to get paid, you're going to have problems. But if you're open to, you know, whatever comes along... Yeah, and I think uh, another part of it is that, like, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors in this industry. Mm-hmm. You know, and people want to hide, but, oh, yeah, I'm always doing this, and I'm here, and I'm that, and that, da 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 like no one cares, man. Like, get your money, do your do your business, right. take care of your family, and and live. You know. And if you go about it wrong, you'll generate antipathy towards you. Sure. Like if your Instagram is just a constant highlight reel, like check me out, look how badass I am, blah blah blah. Then it's gonna generate resentment yep. and envy and just all kinds of negative emotions that you don't even know are coming. Yeah, I, I I really want like, I really want people. I just want to see, honestly, for me, and I might be a Safford, I just want to see everyone win. Yeah. And if someone can look at a post or a quote that I might see that's thought-provoking and that channels some level of productivity, you know, that makes me happy. I want to see everybody, like, I want to see every drummer in Atlanta work. Mm-hmm. You know, I want everybody to have the opportunities, awesome opportunity to do this podcast. Like, thank you. By the way, let me say publicly, thank you. Like, Absolutely, man. Mm-hmm. When um, when you text me, I was on the on the treadmill at the gym, and I started uh, literally started shaking because <laughs> it's such a it's a it's an honor to be considered, you know. But it's another thing for someone to take it that much further and say, you know what? I like what I see. Let me let you get what I'm saying yeah, because yeah. you don't you don't know, right? You, you don't know. I mean, you I'm. My head is down. I, right. I have on my blinders. You know, right. I, I kind of liken it to um, a racehorse. You know, a racehorse has on blinders. Yeah. It's on the carrot or the rabbit or whatever he's trying to chase mm-hmm. to get to the finish line. And for a brief second, when I got that text from you, I took off the blinders and I was like, I enjoyed the journey for a minute. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it reinvigorated me. So thank you so, because 
you, you just don't know if what you're doing is resonating with people. And having a bunch of followers on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, it doesn't mean as much than someone saying, I see you, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. And it, it's, it's cool because we, um, you know, everybody's got a story. Sure. And, and we try to... Um, we try to feature drummers that not only have a, an interesting or cool story, mm. but are also like they they tell their story well. Sure, you know. So I, it, you know, I can't tell you how many times somebody will introduce me to somebody and mm. be like, "Oh, you should have him on your podcast." Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm like, well, in my mind, I'm like, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Mm-hmm. Let's see if he can talk. <laughs> right. Let's see if he's cool. <laughs> Let's see, you know, because I can look at a person's resume and that uh, it doesn't mean a whole lot to right. me as far as this medium is right. concerned. Right. You know, I've, I've talked to drummers on here who have really have a pretty modest resume. Sure. Like they're making a living, but it's nothing flashy. Sure. You know, nothing, nothing um, super high level. Sure. But there's just such cool people. And they're such great storytellers yeah. that, you know, the lessons we've learned from those guys are as valuable from the ones doing arena tours. It's not more. Yeah. Because I can... <laughs> I kind of consider those guys, you know, God bless them, and from my mouth to God's ears, would love to be one of those guys mm-hmm. consistently, not just intermittently. Right. But, you know, I consider those guys one percenters. Totally. You know? They absolutely are. You know, there are only so many arena tours that are happening. Yeah. But you have a bunch of working drummers, um, mid-level, upper-mid-level, whatever. Yeah. You know, but like you said, they all have a story to tell, and I think... You know, I think, man, we, we really hit it off. Like, the night we met, I wasn't even playing. Right, right. It was the night that Lil John was it the... Uh, it was the first one. It was the first drummer night at Vista. Jeff Procaro. Yeah. It was the Procaro night. Yeah. So I got introduced to you, and it was the same thing. Like, oh, you should totally have him on your podcast. <laughs> and I was like, all right. And so we, we hung out a little bit yep. that night. I was like, man, he seems cool. And then I saw you play the next time. Right. We hung out again. Right. And that was when I was like... Podcast for you. <laughs> Let's do it. Man thank, man, thank you so much, man. Yeah. Man, dude, like, I love the, the same thing um, with um, with John Chalden, man. Um, funny thing about that gig, like, I didn't even know I was getting anything. I was doing it because you talk about, you know, just doing it. Right. So my thing is, you can get so insulated in the people that you play with all the time. Yeah. You know, or people perceive that you're gone all the time. Mm-hmm. So playing at the Vista Room just allowed me to be in front of other people that I normally wouldn't be in front of. And because of that, you know, meeting John, reconnecting with Brian, um, VR, um, all of these different guys yeah. that I wouldn't have met. If I didn't do it, and for me, it's about making genuine connection. Yeah. At the end of the day, that's why we're here, right? That's why you and me are here, because right. we both went to that drummer night and was like, "These are not the people I hang out with," right? But it's drummer night, right? So let's go meet some people, yeah, um, and being part of the community. Like when when we moved here, my wife saw me hustle in L.A. She saw me get a little bit of traction and then fall back, and mm-hmm. then, you know, um, and uh, she when we moved here, she said. Just be part of the community. Mm. Don't go to every jam session or every concert or whatever you're going to. Like, don't don't go to it with an angle. Don't mm-hmm. go to it feeling like you got to come home with X amount of numbers sure. or X amount of contacts or a gig. Just like go out, listen to music, just enjoy music, 
become part of the community. Yeah. Um, and that was some of the best advice she's ever given me. Because Man, that is not invaluable only, advice. Not only did it equate to gigs, but like community is a good thing. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I mean, it was missing in LA. She without said, it, is we just isolated. We right. just, and we, we, if you're isolated, you can really feel like you're the only one going through what you're going through. Yeah. You know, and it's not, that, in this situation, it's not Misery Loves Company, but it's empowering to know that I'm not the only guy that struggles with my confidence. Right. I'm not the only guy that, you know, um, looking over, at... Overdrawn his checking account. Right. <laughs> or look at, looking at his calendar is like, man, like, I got more weeks left than gigs. Yeah. You know? And if you're isolated in that, you can feel really bad. And mm-hmm. it's like, this is only happening to me. And especially when we're just talking about social media right. and you look on there and everybody's like, hashtag tour life. Yeah. And this is how I'm living. Fourth gig today. Right. <laughs> and it makes you feel like, and then you go into the, well, I'm doing something wrong. What am I doing wrong? Why am I not getting these opportunities? Yeah. When you got the guy around the corner from you that was just on tour now feeling the same way. Right. Totally. That's why, kind of why we started this podcast. I wow. Mean, Matt, Matt started it, but I was doing like a written series for mm-hmm. Donor's Resource that was a similar similar angle. And you talked about the 1%. Mm-hmm. Like there was this gap in, in the media, like, you know, Modern Drummer and, and a lot of the podcasts were just covering the 1%. Mm-hmm. And we felt like, you know, there there are so many more guys like us sure. who have busy times and lean times mm-hmm. and who are playing cool gigs and shitty gigs mm-hmm. and teaching lessons and doing whatever else we need to do. And we got money shit and we got family shit and mm-hmm. this, that and the other. Like, let's tell those stories. Right. You know, I mean, and their testimonies and the scripture says by our testimonies, we we help other people overcome. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. because somebody might look at my IG and say, man, I know exactly what he's feeling. Mm-hmm. DM, man, how did you get over that? Right. And because I'm trying to, the same thing Brian is doing, create genuine connection mm-hmm. and being able to talk to that person, you know, it helps. Like, yeah. I'm on this thing now where <clears throat> I'm just kind of looking at my drum room and looking around and like, you know what? I haven't played that snare in like three years. <laughs> I want to give it away, mm-hmm. you know, or I got this extra set of drum heads. You know, I just want to give it away. And it's it's not an ulterior motive as much as it like I just kind of feel like with so much hate going on and so, so many divisive principles in place to keep us separated. Like, giving someone a pair of drumsticks mm-hmm. might make all of the difference in the world to them. Right. You know, so I'm looking for mediums. Like, I want to do, like, I definitely, I still should probably do it. And I'm glad we're doing this podcast, so I'm going to say it on here. Mm-hmm. Like, as a part of me celebrating 10,000 followers on IG, I am going to be giving away a set of drum heads, a couple of snare drums, and some more drumsticks. Nice. So, so just... Hit me on my Instagram, hit me in the DM, or go to my website and check it out. Hit the contact me spot, and then we'll go from there. I gave a couple, I gave away a couple of snare drums a couple of months ago, and just the outpouring. I thought it was going to be a one-time thing, mm-hmm. and just the outpouring and reading some of the stories from some of these people. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, this just can't be a one-time thing. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was gonna announce who it was, but then I didn't want there to be resentment over why this person got in and why. So, 
it was just more of like an anonymous, you know, send me your address, you've gotten the snare, and I shipped it off. Right. Um, I think there should be more that. I think being benevolent, man, is the way to connect to connect with people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just want to find a way to do it without causing grief for myself. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, the first, the first, um, the first hour after I put that post out, man, my, like my email just kept ding, ding, ding. I was wow. like, what mistake did I make? Right. You know. Right. But I, I made that bed and I have to lie in it. But now my heart is kind of tugging, like, man, I gotta, I gotta, I should do more. Like, you know, they're literally drunk. Like, I don't know what it, what it feels like to have to choose between buying a pair of drumsticks and eating mm-hmm. yeah that's a it's a blessing like I don't, I don't know like I'm getting into the sobby side of myself <laughs> now but no, I, I just kind of feel like we all we've all been given these great opportunities and these great things and you know we're all in this together yeah. yeah and I think that's what for me that's what it is is bringing that sense of community in yeah you know and, and that's what I love about um, um, John's event mm-hmm. is that the sense of community in those events it doesn't matter who you've played for right you're just there enjoying each other like I remember the Jeff Procaro and obviously everybody was going to be lined up Lil John was playing drums mm-hmm. but I just remember every drummer that was playing on that show Set the the set close to the drums, or you could feel the energy from the drums. Like yeah. they were watching, they were right. egging on, they were cheering. There wasn't vibing. There was like, "Fuck this guy, I can do that." No, that it was, was like, like, "Really? Look at that, look guy, at that guy." Yeah. yeah, and we need more of that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, and that's why, like I told John, I was like, "Man, anytime, call me because that's what we need more of." Mm-hmm. Like, more so than another chop video, yeah. more so than another how to do... Another gear ed- review. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do things that help bring people closer together. We ha- Trust me, we have enough things in this world that are trying to divide us. Yeah. And um, a friend of mine says this all the time, and it's so true. It's like, we are more alike than we are different. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we all want to be loved, and we all want to love. Mm-hmm. You know, and if me giving some drum heads to someone allows that person to feel love in that moment, so be it, man. Yeah, those drum heads mean next to nothing to you, and they could mean everything. Everything. To somebody else. Yeah, man. So, thank you, because we we need more working drumming podcasts, and we need more live at the Vista Rooms, and we need more drummer jams. Uh, we need more jam jams, you know, mm-hmm. to bring that sense of community in and, you know, uh, let people know that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. Let people know that they're, hey, you know, I see you because I'm going through the same thing or I went through the same thing. Let me share my story with you so we can get through this thing together. Right. I don't believe it has to be lonely at the top. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I hear that all the time and I cringe when I hear it. That's. Grant, you can't take everyone with you, right? But somebody can come. Yeah, yeah. No, so absolutely. Let's man, do. thanks for talking. Man, thanks, thanks for, for having me, man. Absolutely. Thanks for driving over here. <laughs> and uh, and I look forward to uh, let, let's see you on Broadway, man. Dude, let's, let's put it, it out there. Yeah, it's out there. Cue on Broadway. Hey, it's already a thing. <laughs> we just gotta walk into it. <laughs> right on, man. Thank you, man.
I really dug hanging with Q for that talk, and since then, thanks again to him for giving so much of his time, and also for the great Instagram takeover he did last weekend. If you didn't see it, he had a busy Saturday and Sunday. Uh, he played at Mabel House Amphitheater just outside Atlanta with Algebra Blessed on Saturday, and then flew to L.A., for his first ever gig at the Hollywood Bowl with Avery Sunshine on Sunday. He shared lots of great picks and thoughts and talks with his cohorts on those gigs, so check out our Instagram, at Working Drummer Podcast, to get a look at that stuff. It's saved on our profile under Q Robinson. Once again, subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher and iTunes, leave us a rating and review, tell a friend about us. Anything and everything helps us grow, and we appreciate it all. Come on back next week for Matt Krause's interview. Thanks, as always, to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance. And thanks for listening. Cheers. Thank you.